0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Investigates. I'm your host, April Glover.
1: Police emergency. This
0: is Simone.
1: Yeah, hi, my son is missing. He's three and a half.
0: This week's episode is a missing persons case that most of our Australian listeners will be very familiar with. In the tiny mid-north coastal town of Kendall, in New South Wales, Australia, a little boy in a Spider-Man outfit was running around his grandmother's backyard on Bennerin Drive basking in the morning sun. His name, of course, was William Tyrrell. It was September 12, 2014, and at around 10.30am, three-year-old William was playing hide-and-seek with his older sister. William was a cheeky, playful little boy, and one of his favourite games was pretending to be a tiger. As his mum and grandmother went inside for a cup of tea... William let out one final roar, ran around the side of the house, and then nothing. It had become quiet, his foster mum would later say. Too quiet. When William's mother came outside only moments later, she expected to see her two young children playfully running around the backyard. But there was no sign of William. She called out his name again and again, but there was only silence. By all accounts, he'd simply vanished off the face of the earth. The police were called, and by 11.30, there was an official search party combing the nearby woods for the little boy in the Spider-Man outfit. This was six long years ago, and William, who would now be eight years old, still hasn't been found. No trace of him, not a single hair follicle or a piece of clothing, has ever been discovered. Award-winning journalist and author Caroline Overington, like many of us, is fascinated and heartbroken by the story of William Tyrrell. She's written a book, Missing William Tyrrell, and she joins us on today's episode of Investigates. Caroline, thank you so much for being here on today's episode. Oh, Uh, thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, So you've written a book, Missing William Tyrrell, Now, of course, William Tyrrell is one of the more notorious missing child cases in Australia. Why do you think Australia is so attached to little William? His case is, of course, one of so many missing
1: children. What is it about his story? There's a couple of things. Firstly, it is really apparent from all of the photographs that we've seen of William in his Spider-Man suit that he was a boisterous and delightful and charming and charismatic little boy. And people really have connected to him because the first or one of the first photographs – that was released when he first went missing was of him in that Spider-Man suit and who hasn't had a child or a grandchild obsessed with superheroes and also roaring at the camera because, of course, he was roaring like a tiger at the time that he went missing. So he's got this very uh, beautiful face, very recognisable to most Australians and also the idea that you can be playing so happily one minute And then completely gone the next. And you must be very
0: attached to the case as well and fascinated by it because you've written a book on it. What is it about the story that drew you
1: in? There was a couple of things. You're quite right. There are a number of missing children in Australia. Not a huge number. Uh, There are a lot of missing people for sure. Um, And the vast majority get found very quickly. And then, of course, there are some who don't wish to be found The number of missing children is quite small and the number of missing three-year-olds is tiny. This is a a once-in-a-decade crime. It just doesn't happen. Children do not get snatched from relatively quiet streets in beautiful little villages on the Australian coast, except that it happened. We know that it happened. And there are a couple of things about the particular case that struck me. Firstly, the idea that that could happen and then we simply say, well, we don't know. We just don't know what happened to him. Seemed very wrong to me. And the other thing is, of course, that William was a foster child. He was in the care of foster parents. And foster children are very special in the community because we have taken them from their care of their biological parents or their biological parents in some cases have been unable to care for them, either because they're in prison or because um, they might be struggling with um, substance abuse issues or perhaps with mental health problems. But for whatever reason, they are in the care of foster parents, so people who are not their biological parents. And we as the state, as the community, the rest of us in the neighborhood agree to take care of them. And the idea that a foster child is missing is, I think, a matter of genuine public interest. And in fact, a Supreme Court judge in New South Wales has said that when the case made its way into the Supreme Court, as it did over the course of William being missing, he said it is a matter of public concern that William is a foster child. Mm. And that is what makes it strike a chord. He was supposed to be safe. Well, that's right. And there's nothing to suggest that there was anything about his foster care status that made him unsafe. But it does mean that we all have a legitimate interest in ensuring that he's found. And of course, that would be true if he was a little boy living with his biological parents as well. But there is that special element about William that he is a foster child, that he was in the care of the state at the time, that gives the case some poignancy that I think has excited the imagination of people online, but has also really tugs at the heartstrings of people because they think to themselves, well, here was a kid who didn't have the easiest start in life. He'd already had to cope with a number of hurdles and now this. And, and for many people, that's just devastating. The idea that he's now got this extra burden. Why should it happen to a child who was already having a difficult start?
0: And it's been nearly six years now and a lot of the public think they really know what happened the morning he disappeared. What can you tell me about that morning in September?
1: Well, that's right. It'll be it'll be six years in September, which seems like a really long time. Although to me, I can still see him. You know, I, I can still see him in my mind's eye. He's still very vivid to me as a three-year-old, although we know, of course, he would be nearly eight. We're looking for an entirely different child, completely different. He was visiting his foster nana. So his foster mum had driven him up to visit her mum. And they were staying in Benaroon Drive. And Benaroon Drive is a very quiet street in the village of Kendall, And Kendall is on the coast. So if you were in Sydney and you drove four hours north, you would to reach Kendall. It's very quiet, very leafy. The street in particular is a quiet one. It's not a busy through street. You don't head down there to go to a school or anything like that. It's essentially a dead end, a cul-de-sac. The house that he was playing at is only one street away from the bush. So he was playing around the garden, dressed in that Spider-Man suit. He jumped off the back deck There's a little uh, wooden deck at the back of the house. He jumped off the back deck at, we think, at around 10.30 in the morning. That's as close as police have been able to to get the time. Sometime around 10.30, give or take 10 minutes either side. He roared like a tiger because that was the game he was playing. He was roaring at the adults, roaring at his big sister who was four. And then he ran around the corner of the house, very excited to be, obviously, at Foster Nana's house. And then he disappeared, just gone, nothing, not a sound, not a scream, nothing we can get our teeth into. So it's not like anyone can say, well, I heard a car going too fast down the street or I heard it bump over a speed bump or I heard a noise like a boot being slammed shut, just nothing.
0: Mm -hmm. It really was like he
1: was there one minute and gone the next and that's right. That's right. And somebody, one of the senior police on the case did say to me once that he had stood there just completely going out of his mind thinking, mm-hmm. how can this be? It's like the Twilight Zone. How can it be? I mean, many of your listeners will be listening to this at home. Perhaps many of them live in a normal Australian house, a one-storey house with two or three bedrooms, maybe on a bit of a block of land. Now, just imagine you're sitting outside with your three-year-old and he runs around the corner of your house and then he's gone. I know I've spoken to so many people who have said children disappear in front of your eyes. You can Mm -hmm. be in the toy department at Kmart, you can be at the local shopping centre, you can be at the local swimming pool, you can be in a park, they're there one minute, you turn around, bang, they're gone. And that feeling, but also can you imagine feeling that forever?
0: William's mysterious disappearance frustrated everyone who was on the case, from William's foster family, his biological family, the detectives, to the rest of the Australian public. The lack of evidence meant there were so many possibilities and theories about what happened. At first, there was hope. Maybe he'd walked into the woods and just lost his way. William lived in Sydney, four hours away from Kendall, so he wasn't very familiar with the area. But that hope faded when days passed and no one found a little boy in a Spider-Man outfit crouched under a tree in the greenery of the forest. Next, police looked into the possibility of abduction. It was the only one that made any sense. Could a car have quickly scooped up the toddler and zoomed off in the few seconds William's mother was looking the other way? And next came the horrific theories that William had been sold into a pedophile ring, few things gave weight to this particular idea. There were 20 registered sex offenders in close proximity to where William was missing. And in 2018, a person of interest was named. He was a convicted pedophile who was released from prison only months earlier. He lived 20 minutes from where William disappeared. As Caroline says, it's almost certain that whatever did happen to William, wherever he is now... It started with him being taken. So what were the initial theories surrounding what happened to William? Were there thoughts of that it was a roadside abduction or that he'd just wandered into the
1: woods and lost his way? The initial uh, emphasis of the police operation was entirely understandable, which was that he was lost. Mm. And as a result, we have a number of problems. It means that we don't have any forensics. It means that we don't have any... Um, crime scene tape going up it means that we don't have a cordon being established and and that's a problem for the investigation going forward but in the immediate aftermath of William going missing everybody just thought he's lost and it made perfect sense because he didn't live there and he was only three and he was just visiting and the place is surrounded by bush And there's a lot, like I've stood in that street more times than I can tell you as, uh, you know, researching the book, more times than I can tell you. I've knocked on neighbor's doors. I've walked up and down that street. And there's always a little bit of wildlife around. It it, it teems with butterflies. Sometimes at dusk in particular, you see kangaroos and wallabies on the lawn, magpies, a lot of magpies, a lot of little tiny birds, you know, those little sparrows and things that bounce around in the bush. Mm. And it's entirely feasible to me that he could have followed some. Something. He could have followed a butterfly. He could have followed a wallaby. He could have he could have seen something and wandered into the bush. And so, of course, what happened was. Neighbours came out. His foster mother raised the alarm. Oh, my goodness, he's missing. She went knocking on doors, racing around, saying to people, I've lost my son, I've lost my son. And everybody came out. And then before long, of course, a Facebook post went up and and more people from the neighbourhood came. And you had SES searchers and you had girls from the local pony club and you had people from the Surf Life Saving Club and you had SES volunteers and you had the fire brigade and you had the police force. Everybody just came marching into the street. It was like a carnival, you know people had coffee carts set up as the, as the weekend went on, we're going to find him, he's a little boy lost, we're going to find him. and of course he wasn't found because he wasn't lost, he was taken.
0: So that that's the theory that you you've landed on that he was taken.
1: He absolutely has to have been because they have been over that area with, when I say a fine tooth comb, I mean it pretty much literally. They used special rakes in the forensic search of the area that took place over months and they lifted even the debris, even the soil, even the leaves. And they they had, there there were 20 of them in a line, searches, and they had special GPS devices worn on the body that tracked in a giant map of tiny little lights every single step they took and every single leaf they lifted and they sprayed the surrounding bush as they passed it with with special cans of dissolvable paint so that they could tell exactly where they went and he is not there.
0: Was there evidence that maybe turned up later on apart from the initial search that led people to believe that it could have been an
1: abduction? If only we had that. And part of the problem is because they thought he was lost, they didn't throw up any police tape around the house or the street or the village and they didn't establish a crime scene and people were walking in and out and bringing cars in and out and caravans in and out and horses in and out. So we just don't know what evidence remained of him and the person who took him, we just don't know. Or the people could have been more than one. We just don't know. There may have been a trace and that trace is now missing. And the other thing that happened was because cars came and went over a 48 hour period without being checked and, and wheelie bins were collected without being checked. And there could have been anything under a tarp or thrown into a bin. We just don't know because we were assuming that he was lost. And that's not to be critical because Mm. imagine if he had been lost and it was getting warm that day it was seven degrees in the morning by the afternoon had got closer to 20 degrees later again so by midday it was about 20 degrees later again by about four o'clock some light rain started to fall and then the temperature dropped in the evening now if he'd needed to be found because of the rising temperatures or because of the storm blowing in and we hadn't gone looking we would be Rating ourselves for that. Mm. So it's a very difficult conundrum for the police.
0: There were lots of cars coming in and out and lots of people coming through the house, but was there one car in particular that investigators sort of zeroed in on?
1: No, there was, no, there was not in those initial hours. We mm. just don't know. What they have done is they have gone to the Kendall Tennis Club, which is very nearby, and has some CT, CCTV. You know these cases are so frustrating when you follow them because you assume that everything is going to be working. Only one of the cameras was working and it didn't pick up every car from from one particular angle. So it did pick up the cars coming from one angle but not from another. So it's not perfect, but we're able to rule out those cars okay so we know that this person came in and this person left and this person came in and this person left because police asked people if you came into the street please come and rule yourself out so they were able to do that there was a bit of CCTV from the rest of the township that they were able to sort of collect and look at but CCTV is really badly missing. Kendall is a very small town. If you went missing in the streets of Sydney, you know, especially now where there's, we're talking six years on, people have dash cams, they have cameras on on bicycles, you know, on the helmets, there's cameras in banks, in the ATMs, they're at service stations. This is a very small town and it was six years ago and that's one thing that we really don't have enough of. Mm. And the other thing is, there's only one mobile phone tower in the area and Kendall is a village of a thousand people. So you're a detective, you think to yourself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to download the mobile phone data from that tower and I'm going to be able to tell who was in the village at the time. And to some extent, that's right, you are, except that Cars passing on a nearby freeway are also pinging off that tower. So you, can you see the frustration right. of people who are involved in the search? Every time they think, you know, this is going to lead to the breakthrough, something turns up that makes it more frustrating. And with such a startling
0: lack of evidence, did it take a really long time for anyone to be questioned or have any suspects?
1: Well, actually, there were always a number of suspects, even early on, that's true. Once they had decided or once they had dispensed with the idea that William was lost and got their heads around the idea that maybe he was abducted, they did have a number of suspects or what they call persons of interest that they wanted to rule out quite quickly. And many of your listeners will know the story of the washing machine repairman. So that there was, the, there was a washing machine at the house that William uh, disappeared from. It had been taken apart a few days earlier by a local white goods repairman. He wasn't able to fix it on the day. And on the morning of William's disappearance, her daughter had rung him to say, why have you done this? You've taken my mum's washing machine apart. She can't do her washing. She's an elderly lady you have to come and fix it. And she left that message on his phone. And police knew about that, of course, and so they went out to interview him. And it does seem that they concentrated on him for a very long time, despite there being no evidence, really, that he ever came to the house that day. He wasn't due at the house that day. He'd been there a few days earlier. He didn't yet have the part that he needed. But this seemed like a possibility to them. And also, when you're looking for a child you'll grab anything and they did zero in on him and he has always maintained that he had absolutely nothing to do with it. There has never been any evidence to link him to it. They've searched his house, they've searched his office, they've downloaded his phones, they've downloaded his computers – They've done forensic testing on on a mattress that he kept in his office because he sometimes used to sleep there. They've talked to all of his neighbours and to all of his family members. They've done forensics on his car. They sent in a, a wood chopper to his property to turn over a wood pile that he has there. There's never been a shred of evidence and he's in fact mm. suing now. He's in fact launched a civil action against the state because he says his name was linked to the case for so long And his business was destroyed and his family life was destroyed. So, yes, there were people that they concentrated on. But as we know, they've never been able to charge anyone. The only person curiously ever charged in connection to this case is the former lead detective who faced charges for misconduct in his handling of the case, which came down to him recording conversations with people without having a proper warrant in place now, he has said a thousand times, I needed to do that for operational reasons. The bugs in the house were failing, or sometimes the person we were recording would, would move away from the house, would come out of the house onto one of these big bush blocks and talk to me in the driveway, and the bugs were no good. They wouldn't pick him up there. So I, in order to protect myself and to record the conversation, I recorded it on my mobile phone instead. We don't have an outcome of that case yet. That won't, We won't have one until the 7th of April. We do know he's pleaded, not guilty.
0: Over the last six years, William's missing person case has been fraught with controversy, gossip, and scandal. The biggest, of course, was the revelation that little William was actually a foster child. He'd been taken from his biological parents when he was just a baby, and he went missing from his foster grandmother's property. In New South Wales alone, there are around 20,000 children in out of home care and there are very strict legal restrictions regarding the public identification of the child or parent involved in a foster situation. This meant details around William's family were obscure and confusing. While, of course, there is no suggestion that William's foster or biological parents were involved in his disappearance, the public perception of the case turned on its head. There were horrible rumours that William's biological parents had stolen him back, his foster parents received horrific online abuse and harassment, with his foster father even being accused of being a murderer. Then, former detective Gary Jubelin, who worked on the William Tyrrell missing person case, was arrested and charged in 2019 over misconduct. It's alleged the detective breached the Surveillance Devices Act by illegally recording a conversation with a suspect. Jubelin denies the charges, telling a court he had a reasonable and lawful excuse for making the recordings. All this, of course, only serves to overshadow the heart of the case. And that is that a little boy is missing, and he still hasn't been found. A lot of things seem to overshadow uh, William's case, including Gary Jubelin's arrest, and, and not only that, William's special family circumstances, the fact that he was a foster child. Why do you think that was so important to people?
1: Well, they're they're two very different things. The fact that he was a foster child certainly made the case more complex for police because it meant that his foster parents and his biological parents could not be seen in public. They still can't. There is a law in New South Wales that says you cannot identify foster parents or foster children or their biological siblings or their biological parents, and that law is in place to protect the privacy of the children who are in foster care, not just William, but all of them. Mm. Now, when William first went missing, of course, police had to identify him because otherwise how would we find him? They had to put up a picture of him and they had to say this is his name so people in the bush could go calling for him. But his foster parents and his biological parents still could not be identified And this, I think, was one of the biggest flaws, the biggest mistakes in this investigation because it meant that people watching at home, you and I and every other ordinary Australian with a good heart, not given to suspicion, looked at this case and thought, wow, where are the parents? Mm. Why are the parents not pleading for his return? And it was months before we saw an interview with them in which they were shrouded in secrecy. They were covered You know, in darkness, they were shown in silhouettes. You could, you could only hear their voices. They were sitting in a really dark room and it looked even worse. It looked at people thought, what is going on here? And they were told, we can't identify these people. We can't tell you everything about this case. And so. I think the ordinary Australian thought, oh, well, this is very odd. This is very odd, when in fact there was nothing odd about it. It was just this strange law that strangled the police operation and made the whole thing far more suspicious and unusual than it needed to be. They should have just given the foster parents or the parents permission in the first day to go out and plead for William and all that secrecy would we wouldn't have had to worry about it and all the online you know how how rumors spread you know there's been all these rumors spread Mm. about what's going on really and the thing with Gary is Gary is a huge Gary Jubelin was the lead detective on the case for four years and he's hugely popular you know he's been involved in some of the biggest criminal cases in New South Wales for more than 30 years. And so when the police decided to investigate him for using his mobile phone to record these conversations instead of relying on the bugs, and then amazingly he was charged with a criminal offence, 10,000 people went online to sign a petition demanding that the charges be dropped and he be reinstated because mm-hmm. the average member of the public doesn't care Maybe they should, but they don't care whether he used his mobile phone to record the conversation. They want somebody like Gary on the case of their missing child mm-hmm. doing everything he can to find him.
0: And when you, you mentioned earlier about the fact that his biological and foster parents were just shrouded in this mystery, do you think that that did change public perception about what happened to William and not with the police but maybe with the public, people stopped thinking that he was missing?
1: Absolutely. 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I have no doubt in my mind about that. And I should be clear about it. So the department that manages foster care in New South Wales is called the Department of Community Services. It used to be known as DOCS. It's now known as FACS. They change the name every couple of years. It's now got the word justice tacked on at the end as well. Mm-hmm. They... Are responsible for making sure that people abide by this law. Now, DOCS has a lot of great people working for them. Young people come out of university with a degree in social work. They really want to make a difference. You know, they want to work with families to try to overcome some of the problems they have. They want children to get every opportunity in life. You know, they, they want to try and lift children out of poverty and and whatever their circumstances may be. But they, they sometimes make decisions that you can't get your head around. And the idea that they would allow this kind of misinformation and rumor and innuendo and conspiracy theories to thrive online for years and years. And eventually what happened was an ordinary member of the public who had absolutely nothing to do with this case, nothing to do with it, just an ordinary woman who thought, you know what, I bet he's a foster kid and I bet they're not saying so because they don't want Anyone to know that this has happened to a foster child. Mm. She took it to the Supreme Court and she won because she said to the judge. This is ridiculous. Why can't we know that he's a foster child? There's no shame associated with that. These are the most precious children of all. And the judge agreed with her. And then it went to the, to the next court up, the Court of Criminal Appeal, and the three judges agreed with her. Because you're right. It is absolutely crazy when you're trying to find a missing child to have any element of secrecy associated with the investigation. Because the public will immediately smell a rat and then they will jump to conclusions which may not be fair.
0: And as time went on, the years went by, there was no sign of William and the theories surrounding what happened to him sort of changed. They became more specific, particularly thoughts that he had been taken into a pedophile ring. Can you speak to that?
1: That's right. There was a moment. So, the, and and this actually is the way the book unfolds as well. You start by learning that he's lost and looking at the efforts that were made to find him, and then it takes you through all the various steps because in a police investigation, what you do is you start very tight, very tight around the victim, who was the last person to see him alive, who were the last people to see him alive, who was in the street, who was in the neighbourhood. You know, you keep building the circle wider and wider, and as they Continue to rule people out who are close to William, you start getting to this wider circle, which is maybe a local pedophile, maybe a local pedophile ring. And we know that there were a number, indeed, probably hundreds of pedophiles living in the immediate area. Once you say Kendall and then you say the Mid-North Coast, Taree, Port Macquarie, maybe all the way up to the Queensland border, you're starting to deal with hundreds of people. So they start zooming in on those ones who may have been in the area on the day who don't have an alibi for their movements. Now, there was one particular sex offender who has no offences against children but is a sex offender who was with the SES who helped search for William. Now, police will sometimes be interested in someone who came out to the search. He came out to the search later in the day at about 4 o'clock. So William went missing in the morning about 10.30. He arrived as part of the SES at about 4 o'clock. And police know that sometimes it's a bit like arson have you ever heard for example of you know the fire bug returns to the scene of the crime or he might even be part of the volunteer fire brigade you know and with crime it's the same you will often have the perpetrator will come to look at the media come to look at his handiwork so they wondered about this particular man who had a history of sex offences Not against children, but against young men with the mental age of children. He'd been accused of the sexual molestation of, for example, a man who had an IQ of six or seven, who had a cognitive impairment. It was a a syndrome like Down syndrome, but not quite like Down syndrome. He was an adult, but with the mental age of a child. And now that is an offence in New South Wales. He was convicted. He was put in prison. And he was of interest to the police.
0: So it sounds like police did put a lot of weight on the theory that William may have been taken to a pedophile ring. Did it take a long time for that to be explored
1: by them? I think they're still exploring that possibility. I I don't think we can rule that out. They were horrified by that idea. One of the hardest things to imagine is that Mm-hmm. I, I think. I, I mean, I, you can't even find the words for it. Really, like, can you imagine that that might be the case? I mean, you you almost hope that that it isn't the case that there's something else because it, it's a horrifying idea. And one of the um, things that they have to do is is you know sort through some paedophile material that they know about to try to see is there any evidence that this has happened. And this case broke. Very many seasoned detectives, very many of them cannot work and will never work again because of the kinds of people they had to talk to and the kinds of theories they had to explore. It was a horrendous lead to have to follow, but of course they had to do it. They had to do it.
0: It's a horrific thought that little William could have been exposed to something something like that and is still exposed, but it does mean that police believe he could still be alive, doesn't it?
1: There are a number of ways he could be alive. You know, sometimes people snatch children because they can't have any of their own. Mm. Sometimes people snatch children for all kinds of reasons that we may not understand. I know that in the beginning, one theory that went around, one one lead that they had to follow was that maybe somebody from William's biological parents wanted to get him back. Now, we know that's not true. Well, they certainly wanted him home with them. They still want him home with them, but they didn't take him. They definitely didn't take him. He's never been reunited with them. I I know them really well and they're absolutely grief-stricken. Their lives have been destroyed by this. But that was a theory too. There is a number of reasons to believe that he could be alive and I know that William's foster father told police during one of his interviews that he thought for a long time that it was possible that William was alive. That is something that we have to turn our minds to particularly because there's never been a trace of him found. With Azaria Chamberlain, for example, they found her matinee jacket. It took years, but they found it. And with the children in Bowerville, which is the three Indigenous children who went missing, their clothes have been found. But with William, we don't have a shoe, we don't have a hair, we don't have Mm -hmm. anything. And that has led police to believe possibly he is alive.
0: The people who love William still hold onto to tiny whispers of hope that one day this case will be solved. While six years is a long time and the evidence is frustratingly scarce, it doesn't mean that missing children aren't found. William's foster parents want to believe there's a chance they will be reunited with him one day. But as the years go by, the chances become slimmer. Will they be reunited with an eight-year-old boy or a body? William's foster father told the Channel 10 podcast Nowhere Child.
1: You know, you hear stories about, you know, in America where <clears throat> people have been abducted and held in rooms and things like that for many, many years. Um, you have that little thing in the back of your head thinking that that
0: you hope that might be the case. Take the case of young Queensland boy Daniel Morecambe. In 2003, 13-year-old Daniel disappeared from the side of the road while waiting for a bus to take him to the shops. It took eight years for Daniel's killer to be brought to justice and for his remains to be found. It happens. It can happen. And Caroline believes it will. Someone out there knows what happened to William. The truth is there. We just need to find it. And what about the family, knowing them like you do? Do they hold on to hope that little William's out there somewhere?
1: Look... It's, you know, the time is passing. The time is passing. Six years is a long time. I believe there should always be a presumption in favour of life in a missing persons case. Um, there is... I know after seven years you can go to the coroner and you can ask for your missing person to be declared deceased. You may want to do that, for example, so that if they're an adult, you know, their property can be sold, you can have some closure in your life. I'll be really interested to hear what the coroner does. You know, William's case has been investigated by a coroner for more than a year now. It's still ongoing, that inquiry. At the end of it, she does have the option to say that William is likely deceased. I think that's a devastating day for everyone. I mean, it's one thing to say somebody is deceased when you have a body. Well, we know then, don't we? We have our answer. As tough as it is, we have our answer. I think it's always really difficult, even after seven years and even after a a coroner says, well, this is what I think. There will always be that lingering doubt in your mind, won't there? You you just don't know. Mm. You don't know until you get a chance to lay them to rest. And I know in the case of of Daniel Morecambe in Brisbane. I, I know the Morecams really well. And with Daniel his his remains were recovered. His body was brought home to his parents and it meant something to them that this could happen. That they don't have to wonder every day. Is he out there? What's he doing? Is he okay? Is he still breathing? Is he still fighting? Is he is he happy? Like what do we know? We don't know. And when when William's killer was was convicted and his remains were recovered it provides them with an opportunity to grieve. And I think we all deserve that. We really do.
0: Absolutely.
1: And like you said, six years is such a long time. From
0: that day in September when William roared like a tiger and just simply vanished to today, are they any closer, are police any closer to finding what happened?
1: They're closer in the sense that we now know what didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, a number of really important leads that you need to get out of the way have been discounted. We know that. Once you know what didn't happen, you can start concentrating on what did. But I believe in my heart, as firmly as I believe anything, we will find him. We will find out what happened. We definitely will because the truth wants to be discovered. It wants to be found out. There's a quote in the book from Raya Ellis, who was the partner of Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love beautiful book read by millions of people. And she said, the truth has legs. When everything else has fallen away and disappeared, all that remains is the truth. It stands there. And I think it's out there waiting for us to discover. Mm -hmm. The idea that we can just say, we don't know, I don't believe it. I don't believe the Australian public will ever be happy with that. We have to find him. And someone knows something. Someone knows, and it's for us to make them tell. Absolutely. Just one other question,
0: Caroline. Who did you speak to when researching for the book?
1: Countless and hundreds of people. It's been a very long process of drawing all of those threads together It's also been a matter, too, of concentrating on the official procedures. A book like this has to be written with respect for the law because the legal process is very tight around it, Mm. which means that you can't often speak to the witnesses who are appearing, for example, in front of the coroner. It means that in the case of Gary Jubelin, there's a trial underway and you have to give that process space. So what I would do is I would attend the various hearings as they were underway. And in fact, they're about to begin again. I'm about to go again up to Taree, which is the biggest town closest to Kendall. See, Kendall doesn't have its own courthouse where you could hold an inquiry into Williams. So they hold it at Taree, which is nearby. And what happens is everybody who's involved in the case turns up and they give their evidence and you sit very quietly and you listen and you try to make sense of what's going on and what people are saying and you test the things that they say in court against the police statements that I've already collected against what they've told me themselves and you try to build your picture that way. So it's not just a matter of speaking to people, it's also a matter of diving into forensic reports and into archives and into police statements and also into the matters of the courts and building your picture that way.
0: And by choosing this case in particular to research and write a book about, what were you hoping to achieve outside of, you know, more
1: public attention on Little William? That was my main aim. I feared, and I know that this is the fear of the families too, that it would come to the point, and maybe especially after Gary was uh, removed from the case, ultimately charged and then resigned from the police force, that it would get sent to the cold case rooms. I mean, the very idea of the cold case ends a shiver down my spine. You know, it's a place where files are locked away in boxes and then every now and then a new police officer or particularly enthusiastic one might go in there and lift the lid Mm. and and maybe start again. It doesn't necessarily mean it will never be solved. There have been some examples in New South Wales of cold cases being solved after 30 years or people being charged after 30 years. You know, we had the most famous case of all with the newspaper that I'm associated with. The Australian did a podcast called The Teacher's Pet, Mm. which was about a cold case that was 30 years old and somebody has been charged. We don't we don't have an outcome we don't know how that case will go but somebody has been charged. Now mm. before that podcast no one was ever going to be charged. That was sitting in the cold case rooms and I really didn't want William to end up there. I really didn't. I don't have any other reason to be doing this other than to say We can still find him. It's not too late. If we go back and we look at all the evidence and here it is, let's look at it all again, there's still a chance that we might see what we missed last time.
0: As of March 2020, no charges have been laid in connection to the disappearance of William Tyrrell. Currently, there is a $1 million reward for any
1: information leading to the missing boy's recovery. So if you are thinking to yourself look there's something odd about that case if you are thinking to yourself oh look he's been gone for ages now they'll never find him if you if you are thinking they'll never solve this maybe have another think maybe open your mind to the idea that it's not too late we can still find him mm-hmm. the evidence must be there logically this is the work of human beings. Logically, there must be a way to find him. Mm-hmm. So maybe take another look at it and don't let it go. And that will maybe encourage all of the people who are investigating too not to let it go.
0: If William is still alive, he will turn nine this year. So if you know something, there are now a million reasons to come forward. Police are urging anyone with information about the disappearance of William to call Crime Stoppers on eight hundred. Thank you for listening to today's episode If you enjoyed it, please rate, review or subscribe And don't forget to tune in next week Thanks and goodbye
1: ACAST powers the
0: world's best podcasts Here's a show that we recommend